Many attempts were made by those mainline denominational churches, basically come in, move into Appalachia, and fix what's broke. And that system failed almost instantly in Appalachia. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we are glad you've taken some time to join us. On the last episode of Level Paths, we met Rex Howell and Matt Shamlin. Rex is the president of Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, and Matt Shamlin is the Appalachian Research Fellow at Tri-State Bible College. Both Rex and Matt are pastors in the Appalachian region. They were both born there, and they have a burden for Appalachia, and they want to see the gospel effectively reach the people who live there. And as you listen to each episode of the Level Paths podcast, you'll hear why Appalachia is very unique. On this Level Paths podcast, Rex and Matt tell us more about what we can expect to hear on future episodes. And we'll also learn about the goals and aspirations of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Also, Matt gives us a broad look at the history of the church in Appalachia, which I think you'll find to be fascinating. So once again, Here's the president of Tri-State Bible College, Rex Howe. We've got some big goals. This podcast is one of our goals. The Appalachian Ministry Conference is one of our goals. And then we haven't really gotten started on this, but we want to write some stuff, don't we? That's right. My study and my interest in Appalachia was really out of necessity to understand how can I take all this theological education this academic work, and how can I understand better? Because unfortunately, a lot of that academic work pushed me further away from Appalachia, not brought me closer to it. It gave me the theological foundation, but the contextualization part, it made it more difficult now than ever before. And so as I started to study this, I found a couple things. I found nobody writes from a conservative point of view about Appalachia. I don't know if it's because they just don't sell books or what, but we're seeing that change. There's more people writing about that now than ever before. We want to write from somewhat of an academic perspective. We're a Bible college, so we want to do that, but we don't want to put it so far out of reach that it only becomes helpful for those in academia. There's a reason no one's written on this before. There's a surefire way not to ever sell books, right on a narrow subject that nobody is interested in. But, you know, we also want to, again, we want to fan that flame. We want to write. We want to work through these things. We want to think through these things because we want to put resources in the hands of pastors, missionaries, pastors' wives, Sunday school teachers to help them better reach their community with the gospel. You know, there are small group leaders out there who are trying to do ministry in Appalachia, and they're doing an incredible job. We just need to learn from them, fan that flame, and maybe share some ideas that'll help them be even more effective. That's an awesome idea. What does it look like to do small group, home group in Appalachia? What's part of the cultural fabric of Appalachia that's going to make a home group excel for the Lord? That's right. So we've got that. And then the other thing going on here at Tri-State already at the Bible College and with the Appalachian Ministry Institute is the Appalachian Ministry Minor that's part of our bachelor's degree program. And some of that is incorporated into the master's degree as well. And then starting this fall, we have a one-year certificate that people can take in Appalachian ministry. So if your intention is, I want to get some training, but I, I really am not up for getting another degree or even getting a degree, 
but a certificate in this kind of a thing would really be helpful to me. We're going to have that offered starting this fall. And in that, we're going to talk about Appalachia generally, ministry in Appalachia. We're going to talk about pastoral ministry in Appalachia. What's it look like to revitalize a church in Appalachia? What makes leadership unique in Appalachia? My doctorate is in organizational leadership. And as I did my dissertation, I studied a unique group of churches and pastors in Appalachia. And I used a metric that had never failed ever. And it had been tried thousands of times. The only time that this particular metric had ever failed, that it was ever broke, was in my research with Appalachian pastors and the way their churches viewed them. And so we'll even talk about some of that because, I mean, we now have it documented through doctoral research that leadership in Appalachia is different. Churches view their pastors differently in Appalachia than they do anywhere else. And so there's much that we can learn. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Hopefully we'll learn together. We're going to do some interviews with some pastors who are God's just blessing in incredible ways and how he's using them. And we want all those who listen to us to learn from that. Yeah, I can't wait to do some of the interviews. There's there's just some exciting people to talk to. And again, to affirm, encourage, equip, and people may not be aware of some of the great things God's doing through men and women here in Appalachia. And I'm in my PhD right now, so I'm, I'm in the thick of it, right? I'm, I'm trudging along. My specialization is in pneumatology in the New Testament and in the early church, the study of the Holy Spirit. I can't wait to do a follow-up research project on pneumatology in Appalachia. And that's so exciting to me because of how I grew up thinking about the Holy Spirit because of my experience in a little Baptist church in Ohio Furnace. To interview pastors, to interview people around here, and to get a handle on how do we view the Holy Spirit? And then to compare that to New Testament pneumatology, that's going to be fun. That's going to be one of those things that you bring a shovel and you find out that you're going to need a bigger shovel. And then you bring a backhoe and you find out that you don't have a big enough backhoe. Because when you think about the way the Holy Spirit is understood and viewed and even now this, hear me when I say this, even practiced and in Appalachian. That's right. Oh my, oh my. That's going to have to be one of those things that's in the pneumatological view of a particular strand of Baptist, which there's, I mean, we make up different brands of Baptist in Eastern Kentucky. I, that, I can't imagine the breadth of that study, but hey, that's a lifetime's worth of work right there. Yeah. And brother, you know, there's going to be a pneumatological practice of the handkerchief in Mountain Baptist churches. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. How godly are you depends on how many waves of the handkerchief you get. There you go. Well, let's do this. Give us a very bird's eye view of the history of the church in Appalachia. Okay. So let's think about the church in Appalachia in two ways. Let's think about it in the established mainline denominational way. And then we're going to think about it in the country church way. Okay. When you think about the attempts of evangelism in Appalachia, that really goes across the spectrum from, if we're going to say Catholicism, higher church, Episcopalians, even Presbyterians, many attempts were made by those mainline denominational churches, uh, more of the higher church denominations or, or sects of Christianity. Those attempts 
were basically come in, move into Appalachia and fix what's broke. There's a hierarchical system and that system failed almost instantly in Appalachia. So those efforts failed almost instantly. Now, not, not in absolute. There are some pockets where those remain and where they actually experience some success, but not in large part. In large part, the main line, the high church, the top-down approach of church in Appalachia failed. A lot of the earliest settlers in Appalachia came across the mountains to get away from the influence of the government. And they came to Appalachia and actually, in many cases, were absorbed into maternal-led Indian tribes. And so think of this. Now you have a religious group that comes in And they are led by a strong, heavy hand, by an organization that's not from there telling them what to do. Well, that was almost in total rejected. But then you had a different approach. And that different approach came from the Methodist and in some ways came from the Baptist. And I'll talk about that in a moment. This approach was we're going to come to Appalachia and we're going to raise up and teach local Appalachians, much like contextualization and missions that we practice today. So the goal of most missionaries is not necessarily to go in and you yourself create a movement. The goal is of most missionaries now to go to a culture, find people of peace in that culture, reach people in that culture, and help equip those people to reach the culture. Well, that's what they did. You see that most clearly with the Methodist circuit riding preachers. These were young preacher boys. My great uncle was one of them. They set up schools where they could learn. And when I'm talking schools, I'm not saying that they went to this place and they they got degrees, but rather they took classes and they took classes while they were ministering. And so from that comes more Arminian theology. From that comes more as you've talked about pneumatology, this work of the spirit, more ecstatic speech, and it multiplied. It multiplied like wildfire. Now, the Baptists did this in some ways, but never like the Methodists did. A lot of the Baptists came in with the coal companies. Now, the Baptists have an independent streak. That's who Baptists are. The idea of the separation of church and state is a Baptist idea. And so really it comes and it's represented by a single preacher in a single place. That preacher's name is Shubal Stearns in Sandy Creek, North Carolina. So amazingly enough, this is a man who moved from New England to Sandy Creek, North Carolina, and God used him in an incredible way. Started an entire wing of a denomination that we now know as the Southern Baptist Convention. Much of that was heavily influenced by Sandy Creek Baptist, independent Baptist. These kind of offshoot Baptists all were heavily influenced by Shubal Stearns. They're not high church. You're not going to find ministerial collars. You're not going to find deeply organized services. You're going to find services that are moved by the spirit. This is the place where you're going to find a lot of Appalachian preaching. This is the place where you're going to find The Holy Spirit's in charge here. This is that place. And this is another way in which Appalachia was reached with the gospel. A lot of times these coal companies were set up, as I said earlier, that Appalachia is a place, some define is a place anywhere there's coal under the ground. 
Well, these coal companies would go and they would build entire towns. They would build a whole town. They'd build the homes. They'd build the store. Uh, that's where all the money came from, from the coal company. And they could use it in the company store. And there they would build a church building. The leaders of the coal companies would essentially find a denomination that was okay with the heavy hand of the coal company. And when that didn't work, they would find another preacher, another denomination. And that's how we have a lot of independent Baptist churches or a lot of Baptist churches across Appalachia, because just as hard as was the coal company, so hard was the Baptist preacher. And that's where we see it spread. Every time I listen to you talk about this, things start to make more and more sense for me. As you talk about the Holy Spirit being in control and not that there's disorder in an Appalachian right. Baptist, independent Baptist church service. There's, if you've attended one of these for a time, there's, there is a routine to it, but it's also a great sensitivity is what I call it to the spirit. It should come as no surprise that the coal companies in Appalachia influenced nearly everything even down to the kind of churches the people got to attend on Sundays. And as future episodes of the Level Paths podcast unfold, we'll hear much more in great detail about church history in Appalachia and the inner workings of ministry in the region. When we come back, Rex and Matt describe how, as young men, they became pastors. Tri-State Bible College is in South Point, Ohio. Its mission is to train faithful servants for tomorrow, today. TSBC is accredited by the Association for Biblical Higher Education, is authorized by the Ohio Board of Regents to offer the Certificate of Biblical Studies, the Associate of Arts degree, and the Bachelor of Arts degree in Bible and Theology. The curriculum of TSBC is designed to promote a biblical worldview and to help students become theologically skillful. TSBC offers several minor including Christian education, counseling, general studies, ministry studies, and missions. Financial aid is available for those who qualify, and Pell Grants and federal student loans are accepted. TSBC offers biblically-oriented programs, which provide a thorough knowledge of the Bible and the ability to effectively use the Word of God in Christian living and Christian service. To find out more about Tri-State Bible College, visit tsbc.edu. Tri-State Bible College, training servants for tomorrow, today. Pastors, just like in any other profession, get started because someone was gracious enough to give them an opportunity. Before Rex Howell became the president of Tri-State Bible College, when he was called into ministry, he hit the ground running. And before Matt became the senior pastor at Rose Hill Baptist Church in Ashland, Kentucky, as a high school senior, he was given the opportunity to preach as well. Both stories are... Well, they're quite the stories. Here's Rex. I remember being a little guy, going to church with Grandma, and I think it was in Christmas of 1995, Matt, and she gave me a Thomas Nelson King James Study Bible for Christmas 1995, and she told me that I was going to be a preacher when I grew up. And at that time, I was like, okay, Grandma. <laughs> and <laughs> How do you disobey your Grandma? <laughs> That's right. And... As time went on and, you know, life happened and some really difficult things happened actually in my life and that kind of caused some ontological crises in my life. Who am I? What's my identity? And and it wasn't until 19 years old that I came to Christ and Christ saved me. 
radically and gloriously changed my life and made the gospel clear to me. Also, my sins clear to me. When I went back to my grandma's church, I sat in the back, I listened to the preacher, and as the Lord was working out his call on my life, I felt a call to want to do what he was doing, to teach the Bible. And you know what he told me when I told him that? He said, in two weeks, you'll be preaching. <laughs> oh, boy. Two weeks. I had come back to the church. I had been baptized. So, I mean, it wasn't like it happened that first month that I was back. But once I shared that I was interested and maybe that God was calling me, two weeks and you'll be preaching. And so wow. in, in two weeks, brother, I was in the pulpit not knowing what in the world I should do. I had a Bible text picked out and the Holy Spirit was going to take over. And I hope that no one ever listens to those sermons. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's amazing how a young guy who says, I believe God's called me to preach in a lot of Appalachian churches. And we have these guys come to our Bible college. They're called as the pastor in a very short amount of time. Absolutely. So I ended up in a rotation. Now get this. This was a church of like 80 people. And at the same time, there were seven men who felt called at the same time. And so we were the preacher boys. I mean, that's what they called us, the preacher boys. And we rotated through a preaching schedule. I got to say, though, there's something I appreciate about this because I was given opportunity to experience preaching. After I preached, the pastor would meet with me privately and you know give input about what I taught and where I need to get better. And, and then eventually, as I was trying to lead Bible studies and I told my pastor, I said, and this is to his credit to this day, I said, Pastor Larry, I don't know how to answer some of these questions. You know, I'm struggling understanding the Bible. And he said, well, you should go to Bible college. I said, what is Bible college? <laughs> you know, so I don't know, you know, that you can, you can go to study the Bible at college. It's all new to me. And he said, yeah, you know, and that's how I got introduced to Tri-State Bible College. And what was it like for you as you got to know Christ? And then what's your story? My family split up when I was eight years old. My parents went through what I saw. Of course, I'm eight years old. Saw as a very sudden cataclysmic divorce. But we went to church infrequently, but we went. We were there on most holidays and when other things didn't interrupt it. My brother was involved in a church play, and this church play would travel around. It was kind of a big deal with this little, I'm going to call it denomination. It was a gospel tabernacle church. There's several of those in and around the Charleston, West Virginia area. And I remember seeing my brother do this play, and the emphasis was on this play. And then this man got up to preach, Waitman Newhouse. And he was kind of the dean of gospel tabernacle preachers in the area, one of them. And he got up to preach and basically gave an altar call and he presented the gospel. And he said, anybody who wants to get saved, come forward. What I, I can tell you the Holy Spirit. Now I know the Holy Spirit was convicting me. I wanted to go get saved, but I didn't want to go forward. So later that evening, we're driving home. My mom and dad are split up at this point. And I remember the very place I was when I asked my mom, do you have to be in church to be saved? I knew I wanted to be saved. I knew I wanted what he was talking about, but I didn't know how to get it. And I wondered, do you have to go in church? And driving down the road, my mother led me to faith in Christ. Well, that happened when I was eight. The family split up. 
I didn't hear any Bible preaching thereafter, not to any amount, except going to my grandparents. We would go stay with them for a couple of weeks at a time in the summer. They had a farm. and Hey, it was great for us to go. We were free farm hands, you know? And there was no question. If I went to my mama and papa shamblings, there's no question I'm going to church. They went to church on Sunday. I'm going to church. One room, white frame Methodist church. It was always exciting because I got to hear my grandfather teach the Bible. I got to hear my grandmother sing. And it was this very distinct Appalachian bluegrass type singing. And I got to go sit in my Aunt Marie's Sunday school class where we'd all gather around the table and they had these, these little cards. It was just one card. It had a picture, a biblical picture on the back and some scripture on the front. And that was my whole church life. Then at 18 years old, through some circumstances, God worked and was convicting me because I absolutely was not living a life that was glorifying to him, was not seeking after him. But amazingly enough, he comes to seek and save that which is lost. And he came after me. I started to hear expository preaching because there was a youth pastor there who wouldn't let me get away at this local Baptist church, this independent Baptist church. Now they were independent Baptists. They weren't mad about it. They were just independent Baptists, you know? And so he started to come talk to me. I worked at a local parts store in high school and he would come over and talk to me and, you know, God used him. And we went away to camp and I went with him and I rededicated my life to Christ. You say, well, rededication is not in the Bible. Well, the word repentance is in the Bible. That's the word. That's what happened. I really, as I looked back, I really struggled with this. Was I saved? I believe I was saved at eight years old, but didn't know what it means to walk with Jesus. I didn't know what it meant. And so I started to walk with Christ. I was discipled. I was walking with Christ. This youth pastor, this faithful youth pastor was teaching me. And we went away to camp, Liberty University of all places, go tell camp, Rick Gage. And these guys get up to preach. Jamie Regal's preaching. Who's this kind of like comedian evangelist. Okay. And that's an Appalachian thing. I wouldn't know. It's a sense of humor. You know, it's kind of keep it light, give a joke to break attention. And so many people came forward. Here I am leading people to Jesus because there were so many people who needed to know what it means to walk with Jesus. And then at the end, I needed somebody to talk with me. Because I knew that God was calling me to ministry. And so I surrendered to the ministry right there on the campus of Liberty University, the Rick Gage Go Tail Camp. And when we came back, I'd already had a full music scholarship given to me. And so I was going to go away and be a band teacher. That's what I thought I was going to do with my life. And so that was an incredible conversation, me getting to tell my parents, hey, I'm going to give up this full music scholarship so that I can pay to go from a public college to a private college and I can pay for it there. And then from there, I went to that college, the music scholarship uh, for one year or one semester, and then went away to Liberty University. I went to Liberty because that's where my youth pastor went. That's the only thing I knew. My parents knew who had started that school because years before they had given to the old time gospel hour and Jerry Falwell, when he was good housekeeping's man of the year, you know, everybody knew who Jerry Falwell was. And so there I am. And I remember preaching my first sermon. That same youth pastor gave me the opportunity to preach in a youth group meeting on a Sunday night. And I thought that this was the greatest opportunity the world had ever seen. I had a suit on because that's what you do in a Baptist, in an independent Baptist church, I had a suit on tie. And I get up to preach and I preach what I thought was going to be the greatest sermon that had ever been heard that Billy Graham was going to call me and ask me for notes. I thought that that's what was going to happen. 
And so I started to preach and I preached on the effects that holding his son had in his arms, the effects that it had on Joseph. And you can just imagine this impassioned preaching because that's all I, I knew what my mama and papa, what was happening at their church. And I knew, so I knew that part of preaching was you're going to be impassioned like they are. And then you're going to explain the Bible. Now, imagine what I'm explaining. I'm explaining. I've heard sermons on Mary. I've heard sermons on Jesus. I'm going to preach a sermon on Joseph. And I'm talking about how Joseph held his son in his arms, laid him in his tomb and the effects that it had on Joseph. And a youth pastor came up to me and he still to this day makes fun of me because it looks like, I guess I'd wrestled a bear. My shirt was untucked. I was so impassioned and people were so kind and I could not understand why they were looking at me with this bizarre look on their face. And the youth pastor put his arm around me and I said, so what do you think? You know, I didn't know how you evaluate a sermon. You know, the multitudes did not come, but I thought that was probably for the hardness of their hearts, not because of this magnificent piece of exposition that I had done. And he said, that was something. And I said, well, no, what'd you really think? And he said, well, Matt, he said, you know, that was your first sermon and he was trying to be kind. And he tells me, he says, I think you got your Joseph's mixed up. What do you mean? He said, Matt, Joseph of Arimathea was not the adopted father of Jesus. Oh, yes, yes, he was. Yes, he was. I looked it up in my concordance and it's the same Greek word. He said, yep, it's going to be the same Greek word, but it's not the same person. And you know, it took me forever. So talking about not wanting your sermon recorded, mm. Lord help us, I hope that my first sermon is not recorded somewhere because if it is, I will give good money to take the master copy, all the copies of that sermon and keep for myself. And so, you know, I will have to say that that youth pastor came alongside of me, was always willing to answer any questions, had some expectations of me if I was going to be called into ministry and uh, God used him in a great way. Still a dear, dear friend. And if you want to know more about the story, I was there the night Matt preached his first sermon about Joseph of Arimathea being Jesus's earthly father. And I was actually there the night at church camp when he was called to be a pastor. Matt and I both were members of that same youth group. And that was nearly 25 years ago. And words fail me as I attempt to describe what it's like to watch God grab hold of a high school teen and turn him into a passionate man of God. Are you a pastor or maybe you're at a church in the Appalachian region and you're looking for more effective ways to minister to the people right where you are? You can reach out to Rex Howe and Matt Shamlin at Tri-State Bible College by emailing rex at rex.howe at tsbc.edu or matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. And if you'd like more information about Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, visit tsbc.edu. On the next Level Paths podcast, what happens when God calls you to serve? You can either be in obedience, trust God for the finances, trust God with what He's doing in your life, or you can live in disobedience. That's really what it comes down to. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.